All right. Hey, good evening, everybody. Thanks for being here. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'll take that. Awesome. All right. Well, the story of Jonah. Yeah, my name is, it's totally Jonah. It's the only name I got. <laughs> um, yeah, sort of a unique name. You know, I don't meet uh, too many Jonas. I, you know, I haven't met a lot of Jonas. And uh, I was thinking about that. I'm like, why don't I meet that many Jonas, but I think it's because parents, um, well, they name their kids after somebody they, you know, want them to be like. So <laughs> Jonah's like not high up on the list, you know, like, uh, you know, David, they're like, yeah, David was a man after God's own heart, or Daniel, he's like this courageous guy. But then you read about Jonah, it's like, yeah, he ran away from God and had a bad attitude. And anyways, my parents were like, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> so I don't know what happened. Um, but yeah, all right. Yeah, and the irony too is that I did uh, walk away from the Lord for uh, a good period of my life. And so, yeah, the irony can't be missed there. But man, yeah, I'm so excited to be starting this book. I've been so blessed in just preparing for it. And uh, it's an incredible book. Um, it's a really famous Bible story. You know, I mean, I remember hearing it just as a little kid. So I think we're all really familiar with it. And that uh, does present some challenges. Um, I've noticed with myself, and just a lot of the famous Bible stories, you know, Noah, uh, Moses, David, you know, our Bible heroes that um, because we've heard them before, sometimes maybe we, we tend to gloss over it or kind of get that attitude, you know, like I, I've, I've heard this uh, before because we've heard it since we were young, you know. But, man, I just wanted to encourage us, you know, I've heard this story um, a lot of times, uh, maybe more than you because my name's Jonah, everyone says it to me. Um, but I notice I'm just learning new things. And the stuff I'm learning in this book is relevant. It's awesome. And that's just something I'm, I'm really encouraged by. And uh, something that just blows my mind about the Bible is that um, even when we revisit uh, old stories, you know, familiar verses or passages, we can learn something new. And not that it's all even about learning new things, but I think, you know, the Bible is just unique in that way. You know, God can speak to us through a familiar story. But yeah, I just wanted to say that this story Man, it's relevant to what's going on in your life right now. It's awesome. The Bible is really supernatural in that sense. And uh, have you guys experienced that before where you read a familiar passage and at one time it spoke to me like this, but at another time it spoke to me in a different way? You know, I've noticed that in my walk. I think that is so cool. Um, do you guys know the verse? It's uh, John chapter eleven thirty-five, the shortest verse in the Bible. Uh, Jesus wept. Anyways, that's the first verse. I, there it is. Jesus wept. That's the first verse that I memorized when I became a Christian. Now we all have it memorized. There you go. But it's just funny, you know, that verse has actually, it, I memorized it as a joke. You know, I, I, my friends were like, you memorize Bible verses? I'm like, yeah, Jesus wept. Uh, I memorized it as a joke, but that verse has spoken to me actually a lot in different ways at different times. One time I was really, I was focusing on Jesus's uh, humanity. And so I was like, he wept. Oh man, like, his best friend, you know, one of his best friends died. You know, Mary, um, you guys know that story, but she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And so uh, that probably made Jesus feel good. But <laughs> um, but I was just focusing on Jesus's humanity. And I was like, man, he feels like I feel he can empathize with me. But then another time I read it, and when you study it, the Greek words, it's really interesting. It's Iesuos dakruo is how you say it. And dakruo is wept. But it literally translates to shed tears. So the verse would read, Jesus shed tears. 
But then that got me thinking, like the old saying, what else did Jesus shed? His blood, right? You know, he shed his blood for us, so blood, sweat, and tears. I was thinking, Jesus shed tears for Lazarus, but he shed his blood for me. (laughs) Start crying, you know. Oh, man, it just spoke to me in a different way. So it's really cool. I love that about the Bible, you know. And that was just two words, you know, but we have all these all these stories. But yeah, God can take something familiar to us. Old story of Jonah here, speak to us in a new way. Um, I think another really important part just about visiting these older stories and stories that we're familiar with is that uh, they serve as reminders, you know. It's really important to be reminded. These are like the pillars of our faith, um, most phones now, you know, we have an app for it. Uh, me and Pastor Dan were talking about it. I use the Reminders app. I forget stuff all the time. It's one of my great talents. So if I'm mad at you, you know, next week I'll probably forget that I was mad at you. But yeah, we need reminders, you know. We forget uh, just the basic stuff, you know, God's faithfulness, his compassion, his love for us. We have a tendency just to, at least I do, just forget that stuff. It goes over my head sometimes. But, you know, and I think that's part of the reason why G- Jesus established uh, communion and when he said it, he said, do this in remembrance of me. You know, I think he knew that we were, you know, prone to forget. Anyways, all right, we're going to get into uh, Jonah just verse by verse here. But uh, let me pray just one more time for us. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for every word in your word, Lord, and just how um, the Bible speaks to us today, how it's present, how it's relevant, Lord. We just look to you now um, for comfort, Lord, for guidance, And I just pray for um, all of us that the truths of your word would just be revealed to us. I just speak to us, Father. Speak to our hearts. Prepare our hearts now. Even as we're praying, Lord, I pray that uh, your spirit would just be poured out on this place. And go before us now in this study. In your name. Amen. All right. So we're going to start just in uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. I'll read along here. Okay, yeah, it's up on the screen too. So now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All right, so that's through verse 3. But we see in verse 1, God has given Jonah a word. God commissions Jonah. He says, hey man, this is your job. Um, I want you to go to Nineveh and cry out against it. And so in this way, Jonah was a prophet. And we're going to read a little bit more about that in Matthew chapter 12, just a little bit later. But I wanted to touch on Nineveh. You see it, you see it there in the, uh, at the beginning of verse 2. Nineveh was a great city. It was the biggest city uh, in the ancient world. But it was also the world superpower. At that time, so it was greater than Egypt. It was greater than Persia. These are like the guys. Okay, it's uh, capital of the Assyrian Empire. It's along the Tigris River there. And there's a little. There's a reference a little later in Jonah in chapter three, um, and it says Nineveh is a three day journey. Now that isn't saying that it took three days to get to Nineveh from Israel. It's saying that it took three days to walk across the city because it was so vast, really big city, and the Ninevites. Uh, were known, you know, the Assyrians, they're known as really just a brutal and a wicked people, bad guys. They uh, had horrible methods of torture, this reputation of just being really brutal, and they could extract information from captives uh, really easily. You know, they had gone on campaign in these years, building their empire by raiding towns and villages, 
Um, but they did a lot of nasty things to get to the top, so to speak. But I, you know, just to touch on, touch on that, one of the methods of torture, and I don't mean to be a graphic or anything, but they would bury somebody in uh, sand up to their neck and they would put a rod through their tongue so their tongue was hanging out and then they would die of thirst in the hot sun. So it's it's really, really bad way to die. But they would also uh, put bodies of victims and things like that on pikes. They would skin people alive, drape their skins over the side of city walls that they had conquered. So really, really nasty. Uh, and But if you look at the second half of uh, verse 2, it says their wickedness has come up before me. So, yeah, their wickedness has come up before me. Um, it appears that the wickedness of Nineveh, it just reached a boiling point, and then the Lord decided to intervene. You know, I was reminded of the story of Noah. The same thing happened, where it just reached this point that the Lord says, okay, no more. We're done, and then, he, you know, the flood happened. But I wanted to just stop on that thought for a second, because God isn't indifferent to wickedness. You know, I believe the story of Jonah, this is, this is proof that God cares, you know. Wickedness before God, it, it, it does not go unnoticed, you know. But this is often a thought or idea um, that is used by people that aren't Christians to justify why they're not Christians. <laughs> you know, it's normally, I've heard it before, normally something along the lines of, well, uh, if there was a God, he'd come down really hard and uh, there wouldn't be any bad in the world, but there's bad in the world, so must not be a God. You know, there is definitely bad in the world, lots of it. But God sees it, he cares. And, I mean, he sees the wickedness, but the thing I love about God is he's willing to do something about it. In this case, you know, he sends Jonah. He's saying, you know, the wickedness, this is enough. I'm sending Jonah. And that's why in this story, Jonah is really what we call a uh, type of Jesus, like a foreshadowing. You know, God sent Jonah to the Ninevites to save them, and God sent Jesus to save us. You know, it's a cool a uh, really cool parallel there that we're going to look at further. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to emphasize that thought on weakness, wickedness because even as a Christian, you know, I can look around and just be discouraged by the amount of wickedness that we see, the evil in the world. You know, it takes a toll on you. Um, but this is encouraging. God sees it, and he cares. He just he doesn't turn a blind eye to evil. My theory is just that he's very, very patient. <laughs> he's a very, very patient God. And... Um, he desires that all men be saved. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. So that's, uh, that's God's heart towards it. Okay, let's keep plugging along here. Verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All right, I wanted to pull up this visual really quick. It's just a map. Do we have that, fellas? Awesome. Sweet, and this is just kind of helpful, but um, Tarshish, you can see over there on the left side of the screen, I bought a laser pointer today, this thing is awesome, right over there. It was actually in the pet section, they sell it for pets, it's weird, but, so this is Tarshish over here, this is where Jonah is headed, but, and this is Israel, this is where Jonah is at, but, so yeah, he, he, he's thinking about going 2,500 miles in the opposite direction, so he was supposed to go east, here's Nineveh, and instead he's buying a ticket to go west. But the interesting thing about this is that uh, Tarshish is essentially the edge of the world to a Hebrew. I mean, nothing is west of Tarshish. It's like uh, California to us. It doesn't get any more west than that. And so people there, they 
they are seeing these ships leaving uh, Tarshish, and they don't come back. So America hasn't been discovered yet, and so they just think that these ships fall off, you know, pretty much the edge of the world. And uh, yeah, that's actually where they believe Tarshish to be, somewhere between Spain, England. They're, we're not totally sure, but the point is it's just as far left as you can go. And, um, but all that to say, the point being, Jonah is planning on getting as far away from God as he knows. He's planning on running to the edge. Um, and like I mentioned, thanks guys, we can pull that down. But, you know, like I mentioned, Jonah is a prophet. What makes him unique, though, and just a little bit different from some of the people that God commissioned, you know, I'm thinking of Moses or Ezekiel. Those guys were hesitant. You know, God said, hey, I want you to do this. And they're like a little hesitant. But Jonah is, is unique because he completely disobeys God and runs the other direction. Those guys eventually did it. Um, but yeah, anyways, that makes Jonah unique, kind of in a bad way. But yeah, we read that he is fleeing from the presence of the Lord there at the end of the verse three. And um, I just thought that was interesting. You know, if you're running away from God, I think his presence is really scary to you. But to the Christian or to the child of God, his presence is a comfort to us. It's a thing we love it, you know. I was reminded of Psalm uh, chapter 32, verse 7. It says this, you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. I love that verse, man. So good. And it's true, right? You know, to the child of God, he is our hiding place. He's where we run to when we get scared, uh, when we have trouble. But when we're running away from him, man, everything just gets uh, twisted. You know, his presence isn't comfortable to me anymore. It makes me uncomfortable. It's actually, uh, you know, kind of scary at that point. But, it, you know, I think we see that. People that are on the run, they're not interested in your Bible study. <laughs> they're not interested in coming to church, you know. It just makes them uncomfortable. I think that's just that battle between the light and the dark, you know. But, you know, you contrast that with the believer. It's like we can't get enough. You got to kick us out of the church because we're loving it. The presence of the Lord is here, you know. We're like into it. It's awesome. I was also reminded of just Adam and Eve. At the beginning, you know, they, it says they were naked and unashamed. You know, they were enjoying this close communion with God, but then after they were deceived, they ate of the fruit. You know, they sew these fig leaves together to cover their nakedness and their hiding. But um, they just get cut off from that intimacy with God. And uh, yeah, silly thing to do. You know, we know that we can't hide from God. We just read that Jonah was fleeing from God's uh, presence, but we know that God is something we just call omnipresent. Big word that just means he's everywhere all the time, but it's comforting to us. I also wanted just to consider another psalm. This is Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. I'll read it here. Awesome. Yeah, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Man, those are just awesome, comforting words to us. But... Yeah, we should be comforted by that thought. God is everywhere all the time. No matter how far you run, how dark it is, God is always there. Then at the end of that, he says he went down to Joppa. And sorry, can we just pull up that map one more time, guys? Um, yeah, I think the visual is just kind of helpful, at least for me. But uh, this is Joppa, right? That's It's a little port town. And that's where Jonah buys his ticket to go to uh, Tarshish. So, yeah, again, Tarsus is west, Nineveh is east. He's going the wrong way. But Joppa is really interesting. Thanks, guys. We can pull it down. Um, Joppa is really just a 
means to an end. It's this little port town, but a really interesting parallel is that Joppa is actually later mentioned in Acts chapter 10, where Peter would have this vision to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And in that story, so Peter is staying with a gentleman named Simon. Okay, And Simon, he lives in, a, in Joppa. And it says he's a tanner, which means he's really tan. I'm just kidding, I don't know. Tans hides or whatever. Um, but Peter is staying with him in Simon's house is in Joppa by the sea. Peter goes up to the rooftop to pray. It's roughly noontime, and he gets a vision from the Lord. So this is in Acts chapter 10. Oh, yeah, here we got it. Verse 11. He saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have... Never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. All right. So God said to Peter on the rooftop, hey, don't call something unclean that I have called clean. Peter, we read later, is wondering, well, what the heck does that mean? I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> he doesn't get it. But then a Gentile man named Cornelius, he later sends a couple of guys for Peter. He has a vision as well. They're both having visions at the same time. Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and while Peter is there, this is Acts chapter 10, verse 28. So this is Peter speaking to Cornelius now. You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. All right, so Peter gets the point here. Um, you know, God is in the business of saving everybody, even Gentiles. Cornelius was this Gentile guy. And again, Paul would later say in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God desires all men uh, to be saved. And that's what happens. Cornelius' whole household does get saved. The Holy Spirit falls upon his whole family. They start uh, speaking in tongues and magnifying the Lord. It's awesome. And then in Acts chapter 11, just a, a, a chapter later, Peter is telling this story to his buddies. And they say in Acts chapter 11, yeah, here it is, verse 3, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? <laughs> They're just astonished that he did that. And uh, Peter retells the whole story. He's like, hey, let me explain. It's not what you think. <laughs> but Peter tells him about the vision, being invited to Cornelius' house, and how the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles. But it ends in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 17. This is what Peter says. And he's telling this story to his buddies again. He says, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us, when we, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? <laughs> so that's how the gospel was delivered to the Gentiles. And I love that. Just such a cool story. Now, just back to Jonah. You know, we don't know why he didn't want to go to Nineveh, but we definitely know, you know he's not a fan. And some people believe that maybe some of his family members were killed by Ninevites because he lived in, he was from northern Israel, and uh, the Ninevites went on campaign there. So a lot of commentators believe that he, his family uh, was maybe killed you know, by Ninevites. We don't know for sure. Uh, but we know for sure that he wanted nothing to do with them. But you know, I mentioned just that whole correlation uh, that with that small town of the port town of Joppa. Just that correlation between Peter and Jonah to say, you know, Jonah is a really good example of somebody who wanted to keep the faith uh, in-house. <laughs> uh, he was a, a patriot. He didn't want salvation to go 
to the foreigners, to the Gentiles, uh, to the bad guys. You know, similar attitude to Peter, who, you know, was a Jew. He wanted to keep salvation Jewish. <laughs> That's what he thought. He really struggled with that. We see that in Peter's life a lot. But I was just thinking about that. It's a warning to myself. You know, I might call something unclean. I might call it icky or it's not worth my time, um, beyond saving, whatever. But God could say, you know, I, I know you don't get along with that person. I know they're different than you, but I want to touch their life and I want to use you to do it. <laughs> you know, I think the sooner that I can just let go of prejudice or assumptions about that person, you know, then God can come in and and use me. Just like Jonah and Peter, these two guys, I mean, they did not want anything to do with Gentiles, but these are two guys that God majorly used just to bring uh, salvation to people who are not Jewish. (laughs) But yeah, is it a coincidence that Peter and Jonah both had uh, similar missions and they both had a crossroads at that port in Joppa? Uh, I don't know. Not sure. I just think it's so cool. And this is Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Yeah, so good. All right, well, we're going to pick it up here in verse 4. Let's keep moving along. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid of the sailors. Every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. All right. So Jonah's off. Uh, maybe he's relieved. He's running from God. Everything's working out good. He got his ticket. He's on his way. Uh, I wanted just to draw our attention back to verse 4. It says, the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. So this is the first miracle of this entire story. Um, Remember what the disciples said after Jesus calmed that storm? It's in Mark chapter 4, verse 41. I think we have it up here. They feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, it's interesting. In the story of Jonah, God stirs up a storm. You know, he says that he sent it out. But in Mark's gospel here, he calms the storm. You know, I just thought that was such a good reminder that God is in control. You know, storms are really often an illustration of trials in our life. But I thought this was so cool. You know, God can raise up a storm to test us or he can uh, calm a storm to comfort us. He can do both. But yeah, again, this is the first miracle. This one uh, really gets often overlooked because Jonah's about to be swallowed by a great fish. So it seems like a, (laughs) a minor miracle, but it's not. Just a good reminder to us that God is in control of every storm. And this is just for reference, Psalm chapter 107 verse 25 for he commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea so good God's in control okay and then let's also read just verse 5 here it says the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea uh, to lighten the load so we see here that the crew they are praying to their gods. Um, I found this quote that I thought was so fitting for this portion. Uh, this is from a Welsh poet. His name is George Herbert, but he says, he that would learn to pray, let him go to sea. <laughs> but you know, it's true. Until you've been in a, I think the point is just a really terrifying situation. Um, 
man, we pray really hard in those moments, you know. And so these guys are doing that. They're throwing up a prayer, just hoping that something will stick. Any God will listen. <laughs> um, I wanted to tell just a story really quick, but about two years ago, um, when my wife was giving birth to my daughter, Posey, uh, we were uh, in Colorado, and we lived about an hour and a half from the nearest hospital, and um, we just had some complications with the birth, and Michaela went into active labor, uh, the part where you're really, like, pushing the baby out way, way, way earlier than we thought uh, she was going to, like, it was happening, boom, now, and we're an hour and a half away from a hospital, so... Really, really scary, but um, so we had to drive there. It was 2 a.m., um, and I'm dodging deer. It's like a, it's a, yeah, deer everywhere. It's a canyon road. There's a river on the side. It's just pitch black outside. Anyway, it was the worst drive of my life, and um, and we really did. I, I'm not kidding. This is a true story. We did dodge deer. There were one dead deer and two alive deer, and uh, her mom was sitting next to me in the passenger seat, and Michaela is just, yeah, going through that in the in the back, and uh, yeah, it was so scary, but I remember I, I never prayed. I've never prayed that hard in my entire life. You know, we're 45 minutes into the trip and I'm trying to go fast, but not too fast. Cause I don't want to like, you know, skid off the road or anything like that. But I remember praying and just pouring my heart out and kind of, I don't know if you guys have ever done this where you bargain with the Lord, you know, I'm like, Lord, if you get us to the hospital and my daughter is born safely, I will become a monk, Lord, like. <laughs> I will become a vegan, God. Like, I'll do, he wouldn't do that to us, but yeah. Anyways, I prayed so hard, and the uh, story has a happy ending. We got there, but she, she was born within 10 minutes of us arriving at the hospital. It was, uh, yeah, really scary. But we see the crew is doing that sort of panic prayer. <laughs> I imagine they're, they're making bargains with the Lord. But let's pick it up in verse six. So the captain said to, or came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And this is verse 9. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Right. So the, the captain, he catches Jonah sleeping, and he scolds him. He's like, hey, man, we're all up here praying. You're down here sleeping. It's, we're about to die. You know, it's going really bad. Crew casts lots. They find out who the reason is for the storm, and it falls on Jonah. And Jonah has no problem admitting that God is, uh, or his God is the one who is responsible for the storm. You know, I think Jonah was familiar enough with the Lord he sees God's fingerprint on the storm. So he could, he could recognize it was the Lord. All right, and then this is verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. What shall we do? To, I'm just thinking, so should we kill you? Or how does this work? How do we stop the storm? <laughs> Verse 12, and he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. All right. So just that last verse there in verse 12, we see that Jonah, he comes up with the solution. He says, pick me up. I know that this great tempest is because of me. 
Man, I thought that was so cool because right here we're seeing a turning point in Jonah. And I think what it is is just some humility. Uh, what I imagine happened, he opens up the uh, door to the sleeping quarters or whatever. He comes outside. He sees the wind. He sees the waves, these monstrous waves. He sees the crew. Everyone's praying and freaking out. And I just think at that point he realized that the game was up, that he'd, he'd been beat. He goes, okay, all right, we'll do it God's way. <laughs> So he admits that um, he's the problem. But, you know, I think that's often the case with me too. Uh, the sooner that I can get to the realization that maybe I'm the problem, um, I notice things, they start to turn around then. <laughs> but in order to get to that point where, you know, we could admit it, it just requires a little bit of self-examination, which is so painful for us to do. But uh, I wanted to bring up this psalm. It's Psalm 139. Just looking at verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, I think that psalm, man, we're looking at all these psalms tonight, but I think they're just such a good, that's just a heart check for me, you know. Uh, I think it's a really good place to, to start, especially especially when we're in the middle of trials. You know, it Am I doing something wrong? Is my attitude wrong? But we, unfortunately, we just live in a culture that is not about accountability at all. We want to blame everybody else before, you know, we blame ourselves. Quick to blame somebody, anybody but us. <laughs> but, yeah, maybe we, may we be those that just examine ourselves first. Okay, let's pick it up in verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. This is verse 16 here. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and took vows. All right, so they say, Lord, don't get any matter. Please stop being mad. We're going to throw him in. Don't charge us with innocent blood. And uh, the plan works. They throw uh, Jonah in, and the storm dies. And I wanted to look at verse 16, though. Look what it says. The men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. So the sailors, they offer a sacrifice to the Lord here, and... They, it says that they also take vows. Very, very interesting. Because we're seeing like some devotion from these men after the storm. I, you know, I think they become Christians. And I still think God, he can use a massive event like that, a storm or a trial. Um, yeah, just something, a significant event like that to bring people to himself um, as he pleases. It's just one of his methods. He knows he knew for these guys, it was going to take a hurricane to get them to turn towards him. So sometimes he does that. But And this is just a, as an example. Um, I have a friend of a friend, um, and the man is in his 60s now, but uh, this gentleman, he lives on the island of uh, Hawaii. He lives in Maui. And the man, again, he's in his 60s, but 40 years ago he had a daughter. She was 14 years old, and she had terminal brain cancer. And so they're both in the hospital and the man is just, you know, at, at her bedside every night. And this guys he's not a Christian. Okay, again, this is 40 years ago, but he um, doesn't know the Lord, wasn't 
raised in any sort of uh, religious background at all. But uh, one night he goes to her bedside, and this this is a true story. And um, he just prays. He says, "All right, God of the Christian Bible, if you're real and you heal my daughter from uh, this cancer, I'll consecrate myself to you. I'll devote my life to you." So he just says this earnest prayer. And uh, next morning, she's cancer-free. She's uh, completely healed. Doctors are just dumbfounded. Such a cool story. And it normally ends there where the guy just, like, forgets. And he's like, oh, this is, you know, great. It's just a miracle. And then he, you know, has, still has nothing to do with the Lord. But this guy made good on his promise. And for the last 40 years, he's been a pastor of a church in Hawaii. He's just a radical Christian. The next day, he said, okay, he did it. I'm holding up my end of the deal. And he, uh, yeah, just became this radical Christian. And he runs eight miles six days a week on the island of Hawaii. And everybody knows him as kind of like a John the Baptist character. They see him as this crazy guy because he holds signs up that say, Jesus saves and other Christian slogans like that. But just a radical, radical guy. Um, And I just said all that because I think we're seeing something similar here with this crew. And in Jonah's overall, the big mission here that God gave him, You know, I think that this crew was just as important to the Lord as the Ninevites were to him. You know, we see that right here. God is using any means necessary. Again, you know, for these guys, how the Lord reaches people, man, that's up to him. For these guys, it took a hurricane for my friend's friend. uh, Took his daughter getting that sick, you know. And it's uh, not the same every single time. You know, there's no, I guess, method, but that's just how the Lord, Lord does it. Okay, and then I just wanted to look at the last verse of chapter 1 here, and we'll wrap it up. But Verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. All right. So God prepared the fish. You know, the, the book of Jonah, it's one of those books that Bible critics tend to focus on just because of the miraculous nature of the story. And... Um, Some even consider it like a Jewish fable, like a fairy tale. But uh, the only problem with that is that Jesus believed the story of Jonah. (laughs) But it's in uh, Matthew chapter 12. Uh, We're going to pull up uh, verse 39. So the Pharisees in the verse before this, they say, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. That's what they say to Jesus. And Jesus responds and he says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Which I think that's just Jesus' way of saying, hey, I'm not your dog and pony show. Right there. But this is the frustrating part about the Pharisees too. For, tw- for 12 chapters, Jesus has been doing miracles. He's been doing, I say 12 chapters, I don't know how much time that is. And all of these miracles are a big deal. He healed uh, lepers, blind men, uh, the mute man, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, a paralytic. You know, they dropped him down through the roof. He healed that paralytic. He was casting demons out of men, calmed the wind and the waves. That was, so, and the Pharisees are just turning a blind eye to all this stuff, but they still didn't believe. So when they asked for a sign now, Jesus says, well, just like Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, I will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, referring to his death and resurrection there. I just think it's so interesting that he references the book of Jonah out of all the stories he could have referenced. You know, he references the book a lot of people really have the hardest time believing, the one that they think is a fairy tale. Uh, But my point is, you know, some people, 
no matter what you do, simply will not believe. But I think to uh, you know those of us, and I don't want to focus on that so much, but to those of us that do believe, I think we're called to believe all of it. You know, we believe this book cover to cover. But, you know, I don't think we have to completely understand God's methods. Uh, and I don't think we will either. You know, why a fish? Why? Why a fish? Why a storm? Uh, why did Moses have to put his staff in the water and have the, it part that way? Remember Jesus, he uh, made that blind guy rub mud and saliva and Jesus, why do it that way? And then he does it a different way in, a, in, a, in, another, uh, in another story. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I think we have theories. Um, I think my take on it is just that I think God wants us to say loosen the saddle. You know, it's not the same every time. Um, not a fixed method, you know. But anyways, above my pay grade, my job is to trust him, know that he's in control, and just believe this, man, cover to cover. You know, we believe that he resurrected from the dead. You know, that's really the crux of the Christian faith, of our faith, is that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And if I believe that, so if I believe that he resurrected from the dead, um, it's really not too great a thing for me to believe that God had prepared a fish to swallow Jonah that's like down here. <laughs> I believe that you raised him from the dead, man. That's way more important. Um, all right, well, we're going to close. And as we leave tonight, just some things to remember, man. God wants everybody to be saved. No one is too far gone. No one is beyond his reach or too wicked, anything like that. And the other thing is just God is in control. Every storm, every trial, every fish, every type of fish, every type of storm, every type of trial, he knows and he cares. So, all right, well, let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this story. Just how you are constantly working miracles, Lord. And we just put our trust in you. We put our faith in you. And we don't, we don't get it all the time. We don't understand. And um, Lord, just help our unbelief in the areas where we just doubt you. Father, just increase our faith, help our faith. Pray that you would just continue to speak to us this week, Father. Just fill us with your spirit as we walk out of these doors. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.